All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, uh, and I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. Uh, and uh, I do have a couple of partners, Roger Regan, who publishes Trader Tracks. Uh, Roger will be with me until the end of this month, and then he's uh, going on to do his own thing uh, with his own company. But uh, Roger's been with me a number of years, and we've had a uh, we've done very well with him, and his uh, subscribers have been very happy and have done very well as as well. Uh, Chen Lin uh, is also and will remain a partner with me. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? An excellent newsletter. Chen has had a record, a track record uh, that is hard to beat. I don't know of anybody who has done better than Chen uh, in turning some $5,400 into over $2.5 million over the last, uh, within the last decade. So um, in any event, uh, you can uh, get a special introductory uh, letter to Chen or to Roger uh, through the end of this month, Roger anyway, through this uh, service. You go to miningstocks.com or you can call Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426. That's Mining Stocks or uh, Claudio Bossi, 718-457-1426. I do like to tell you that the best place to go to do, uh, follow everything that I do, uh, including this uh, accessing this show, is jtaylormedia.com, uh, jaytaylormedia.com. Um, well, you can also follow me on Twitter under the handle Silverstocks. I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Eurostar, Gold Corp, Liberty, Silver Corp, Airway, Energy, Inc., and Eurasian Minerals. From freedom to fascism, how did it happen in America? Well, that is a question that I have had on my mind for a long time, as it seems to be this sort of freedom that we've thought was our birthright slipping away. Uh, it will be, I expect and plan it to be, the title of a book that I write, and I'm going to write that book uh, with the help of many of the guests that have been on this show uh, dating back to March of 2009. For people who stop to think about what has been transpiring over the past several decades in America, there is no question that government is taking over our lives and that we are losing our personal freedom. And with that, I believe, uh, loss of freedom comes a loss in the creative genius of a people, of the American people. Supposedly, we fought World War II to rout out fascism, right? Isn't that what we were told? Of course, we have had many different guests on this show that have hinted that the real reason we went to World War I and World War II was not for ideological reasons, but for economic reasons that benefited the ruling elite, including, of course, as we learned from Family of Secrets, the Bush family. But assuming you believe we fought 
two world wars for the noble reasons given to our young people to give up their lives. Why then did Republicans become so outraged at Ron Paul when in one debate he suggested that the reason they came here over here on 9-11 is because we are over there? Why is it so difficult to get through our thick heads that if we have troops in more than 100 countries and the CIA and various countries working to overthrow their governments, that people don't like us for doing that? Why is it so difficult for these thick-headed Republicans, many thick-headed Democrats as well, that we, uh, that uh, for them to understand that we were hit on 9-11 because we are occupying nations around the world and, quite frankly, making people angry at us. Why did Republicans boo Ron Paul when he suggested that we follow the golden rule, that is, treat other countries as we would have them treat us? The idea of our founding fathers was that government was to be as minimal as possible so that we as individuals could live our lives to the fullest in the sense that we were free to be the unique individual human beings that we were created to be, each of us unique people, a person, each of us different from any other human being on the face of the earth. Our founding fathers understood the connection between economic freedom and the rights to private property on the one hand and and prosperity and happiness on the other. They understood what Ilana Mercer uh, says so well in her book, Into the Cannibal's Pot, that once government starts to strip us of our rights to own our own property, taking our lives away from us is already in process. And when the right of private property is taken away from us in its entirety, it can result in anarchy and total breakdown in civil order, in which case murder becomes an everyday occurrence in places as we've seen uh, Marxist governments such as uh, is has been implemented in South Africa. According to Alana Mercer and my friend Barry Downs, both of whom uh, are intimately aware of what is taking place in South Africa, that once prosperous country is now turning into a hellhole, much like Haiti. So then is the answer Ayn Rand's atheistic free market capitalism? Well, while I understand and truly do believe that free markets provide disciplines with, uh, with respect to how we treat each other, what is, uh, what is, though, under a free market system to stop participants from seeking special favors from government? I mean, the, the idea that you will put away your own selfish interest uh, in order for the good of the, of the society as a whole is, is counter to what Ayn Rand taught. And yet we see proponents of Ayn Rand free market capitalism uh, really uh, not living what they preach. Um, Alan Greenspan is a good example of that. I mean, he was a disciple of Ayn Rand, and he understood very well that uh, a, uh, the, gold, the system, the monetary system that we have, absent gold, was really a license to steal. He understood very well. We know that from a paper he wrote in 1966, which he told Ron Paul he still agrees with as recently as 2002. He would not change a word, and, and he really said that that is... Uh, that the reason governments hate gold is because uh, it gold keeps them from stealing from its population, from its from its citizens. So Greenspan understood that, yet he was front and center of one of the most radical uh, demolitions of American freedom and liberty of anyone uh, that you can think of. And he was a student, a disciple of Ayn Rand. Another person that uh, I know of, a, a story I know of in, in South America, where an individual who is a proponent of free markets has hopped in bed with uh, some political folks to arrange uh, for some capital expenditures for a project he's running at the expense of taxpayers. Another example of an individual who is an avid free market Ayn Rand proponent. Well, there's something wrong here, because if we are going to be advocates of something like that, 
Are we advocates of it because we want to take advantage of it uh, and to hurt other people in the process? Well, where is the moral compass? So where, where does this moral compass come from that I think Ron Paul has demonstrated as well as anybody I've ever met? Ron has constantly voted against bills that would have seemed to be in his best interest if he wanted to get reelected. Of course, knowing Ron as I do, his first and foremost issue was not getting reelected, but standing on principles, on ideas that he believed in very strongly. Well, let's go back to the beginning words of the Declaration of Independence. Uh, it starts out by saying, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are endowed by their Creator, capital C, I might mention, with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, the earlier version was a pursuit of property. The founding fathers held a view that there that there was a powerful higher being, higher than humans, that existed and put the world in order, and that the Judeo-Christian framework would provide a civil order that if we live by the good book, we could be a happy and prosperous nation. Now, not maybe, I don't know if all the founding fathers believed that. Certainly, uh, Thomas Jefferson is said to have been a deist. But there was one thing in common, and that was the belief that government, when it gets powerful, is dangerous. It is the evil, uh, the most evil thing that we can uh, be fearful of is a government that runs amok. Uh, and, uh, and so many of these people, I believe, and certainly lots, a large percentage of Americans did believe in God, did believe in a higher being, and that was one of the reasons uh, I believe that, uh, that a lot of these free market ideas were held in check for so long. Well, uh, this is an issue that we are going to be talking about more and more as time goes on, I believe. Uh, I certainly do endorse free markets, uh, limited government for sure, uh, but uh, you know there has to be something that holds people back because otherwise I can understand how my friends on the left uh, are so against Ayn Rand and her free market views if it enables people then to go out and make deals with government to tax and, uh, and hurt other people in the process for their own gain. Well, today we're going to be talking to one person who I know is very strongly, uh, very strongly believes in a higher being, and that's Peter Grandage. He's going to be with us after, uh, well, at about at about 3:30 New York time. Peter's going to be joining us and talk to Peter about a whole host of issues, uh, including, of course, the uh, the equity markets, the debt markets. We're going to talk to Peter about his views on precious metals, no doubt about that. Um, and we're going to talk to Peter also about the Gold Antitrust Action Committee, his views on that. We're also going to ask Peter uh, a little bit about uh, some of the people that have been so antagonistic against GATA. And we're talking about folks like John Nadler uh, and um, Jeffrey Christian. Well, I think uh, those, two, those two people I know and have talked to and am on friendly terms with, I can certainly breathe the same air with those gentlemen, even though I have a view that is quite a bit different. I think their worldview is one in which they believe in big government, they believe in Keynesian economics, they believe in, uh, in, the, in the opposite of what our founding fathers believed in. And so I think that is part of the reason that they are so adamantly against uh, gold. Uh, as Greenspan explained, the reason that governments hate gold so much, and I would add to that the reason bankers hate gold so much, is that in fact uh, gold stands in the way of this uh, of, of this uh, operation, I say, legalized theft. Uh, that is really what fiat money allows. And so we're going to be talking to Peter Granich, uh, and we're going to go to break. But as soon as we come back, I'm going to also be talking uh, to Joe Martin. He is the proprietor of the Cambridge House Conferences, and we're going to talk to Joe about a conference that's coming up next week, towards the end of next week in Toronto. 
uh, and we're going to get Joe's views on uh, on the uh, well on the uh, junior mining uh, markets right now, and uh, you know how things are shaping up for his show in Toronto. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Joe Martin. business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.euristargold.com for more information. Is your business ready to get started in social media? If you've already made that plunge, where do you stand right now? Are you using it to stay ahead of your competition? Or are you feeling a bit lost? Tune in to Social Media Pearls with host Shirley Williams. Shirley and her guest experts are here to answer your questions as well as focus on areas where you should have questions. It's everything you've always wanted to know about using social media for business. It's Social Media Pearls, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times and the Good Times. We are expecting Joe Martin to be with us momentarily. Unfortunately, uh, I guess we we had an incorrect number to call Joe on, so uh, hopefully he'll be with us. I'm going to take this opportunity, though, just to mention something that I didn't get around to talking about in the first segment of this show, and that is an upcoming meeting called the Committee, uh, a uh, dinner meeting, a semi-annual dinner meeting, uh, the Committee for Monetary Research and Education is a, uh, is one that I usually attend. I do expect to attend uh, the one that's coming up this fall. It's going to be on October 18th. It's the Union, Lug, the Union League Club at 38 East 37th Street in New York. Uh, and the title of the show uh, this time uh, is The Challenge, uh, Does the Nation Face Hyperinflation, Crushing Deflation, or Possibly Restoration? Those are the uh, that is the main topic of the show. Let me just see if we've got Joe Martin with us yet. Uh, not no, no answer. Okay, no answer from Joe. All right, so uh, we will um, let me let me just pick up on this thought. What I was just talking about 
the speakers are going to be James Rickards. Uh, he's the author of the powerful book, Currency Wars, The Making of the Next Global Crisis. Uh, and James uh, Rickards is uh, returning from Asia, uh, where he was lecturing and uh, following his great success in London, addressing the GATA conference uh, not that long ago. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and also uh, Alex J. Pollock um, of the American Enterprise Institute and Walker Todd, a mainstream at CMRE, will be there as well. Uh, and um, uh, they will be talking about uh, banking reform, essential as life before the Federal Reserve, uh, what we really need to do to get back to uh, some sort of normalcy of markets. Uh, both, uh, both uh, Mr. Pollock and Mr. Todd, uh, Dr. Todd, uh, served as bankers for years. Indicative of Pollock's work is his recent introduction to the book, The Global Crisis of the Federal Reserve, uh, by Brendan Brown. Now, CMR's own economist and banker, Dr. Todd, uh, also understands the need for banking reform. And uh, Walker was on this show, and he uh, really was quite quite helpful. Um, I think it provides very great insights into the into the market. Certainly, uh, Walker had been working with the Federal Reserve in the past uh, as a lawyer and as an economist, a very astute observer of what's going on right now, and also understands very, very well uh, the thing I was talking about in the first segment, that is the loss of liberty that comes with uh, the loss of, of, a, of an honest monetary system. Uh, also, Dan Oliver and Howard Segermark will be there uh, following their coverage of Richard Duncan's book, uh, The New Depression, The Breakdown of the Paper Money Economy. And we did actually have Richard Duncan on this show in the past. Richard Duncan was there uh, to talk about, um, uh, well, he was on this show to talk about that book. Uh, Duncan considers the work of Greenspan and Bernanke the greatest credit boom in recorded history, and uh, as Ludwig von Mises wrote, a credit expansion boom most unavoidably leads to a depression. Well, Richard Duncan certainly understands that the uh, taking away gold from our monetary system was really the reason that we ran into such deep, deep trouble and why we are in such deep trouble right now. Also at the uh, at the CMRE on the uh, uh, on October 18th, uh, 2012, will be uh, uh, Richard uh, Ron, Richard Ron of the Cato Institute and chairman of the Institute of Global Economic Growth, will be joining us, and uh, he'll be talking about uh, stop global economic malpractice. Growth in spending requires cutbacks. So in other words, austerity. I think there's going to be austerity. It doesn't matter whether politicians want it or not. It's headed our way. Uh, Victor uh, Sperandio. Uh, the wall, the ultimate Wall Street pro, uh, you might remember, some of you may know the name. He joins the international talk with views from his own extensive international investment world. And Edwin Vieira, one of the most brilliant uh, lawyers that I have ever met, uh, who has written uh, a fantastic book called The Crashmaker uh, that some have, uh, have compared to uh, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged in terms of its intellectual importance. Um, so this is going to be really it's going to be a show that I'm going to really look at. Um, I, I think it's a show that I'm going to really look forward to going to. Um, having covered inflation and deflation as of August uh, 2012, there is an effort for restoration. Is there a possibility of restoration of a gold standard coming back to a gold standard? Well, yes, I think the answer is yes, uh, for reasons that we've talked about on this show, and because Joe Martin does not seem to be uh, responding, I guess we're not going to have Joe with us to talk about the Toronto show. I'll try to talk a little bit about it if I can here. 
but before we go to that, why do I think we're going to head back to a gold standard? Why do I think heading back to a gold standard, or as Lewis Lehrman said on this show, heading uh, forward to a gold standard, why do I think it's inevitable? Well, first of all, uh, just in general, I believe that markets ultimately prevail over governments, no matter how much tyranny, no matter how much they try to manipulate uh, and, and mess up markets. Ultimately, the markets are bigger than human beings, and they will prevail. Uh, it certainly occurred in the Soviet Union. It certainly occurred uh, any country. Eisenhower warned us that uh, our enemies were not the enemies, uh, the exterior enemies, but that most great societies go down uh, from decay from the inside and out. Uh, certainly that could, could be said here. Look at our monetary system. If this isn't a decadent, a decadent monetary system, I don't know what it is. Well, I'm told now that we actually do have Joe Martin with us, uh, so I'll have to pick up on this thought. Uh, in the last uh, closing minutes of today's show, I'm going to talk a little bit about why I think moving back to a gold standard is actually uh, inevitable. So in any event, with, since we don't have a whole lot of time left in this segment, let me uh, let me say hello to Joe Martin. Hello, Joe. Are you there? I am, Jay. It's good to be with you. Oh, great to have you. Uh, sorry we missed you over the first few minutes, so we won't have as much time as I would have liked, but let's get right to it. You've got the uh, the gold the show. I always call it a gold show, Joe. You know, I'm such a gold bug. I have I have a problem thinking about anything other than gold. I'm I'm one of Nadler's favorite people because I'm a gold bug. But but uh, you have a mining show coming up um, and in Toronto. Um, it's coming up next week. Uh, tell us about that uh, that show, Joe. Well, you know, Jay, I'm sort of like you too. Everything comes in our type of market, which is exploration side of the, of the commodity market, mineral exploration, and it really does stem from gold. Where gold goes, a lot of other things going. The big difference now, though, is that we're in the, this worldwide commodity shortage of everything: potash to grow food in Asia, uh, strategic metals with uh, China cutting down the export of the rare earth elements, which are needed in all electronics. It's caused the uh, junior companies to find these deposits to be going around the world looking for them. And so we have a wide variety of these companies that will be in Toronto. And I like to tell people that about 60% of all worldwide exploration for mineral deposits is done by Canadians. Mm -hmm. We always have good shows in Canada. And the large companies, the actual mining companies, don't do exploration. It's the juniors that we call them. They're the guys out there putting holes in the ground trying to find out uh, a mineable deposit. High risk, high reward. The rewards can be very good and uh, it attracts a lot of interest in people who like to uh, be involved in that kind of a market. And we have them all, from potash to strategic metals to uh, rare earths, um, um, graphite. Uh, I call some of them uh, battery technology metals mm-hmm. because they are needed for all the new electric uh, cars. And we had you need lithium, you need, well, the zinc is coming down as the next level of battery somewhere down in the future. So we have all those companies will be there. Plus, we have speakers like yourself there who will be there talking about the various aspects of the uh, of these companies. Yeah, you really do have, and, and Canada is, bar none, the number one country in the world when it comes to exploration. You have the, you have all of the infrastructure up there in terms of the, the regulatory framework. You've got the people, mostly the intellectual capital, I think, up there uh, to make these things happen. Uh, Joe, uh, would you say that the majority, over half of your companies, might be gold or precious metals companies? Would that be fair to say, the ones that will be well, existing? Well, <clears throat> yeah, if you're going to go the whole precious metals, you've got platinum and uh you know, silver is uh, silver is big right now. Yeah. Um, we also want a company called the Silver Summit in Spokane comes up next month in October. But uh, <clears throat> the silver companies have been doing fairly well, and I, of course, you probably think silver companies are undervalued in relation to gold, also. 
Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's probably true, uh, although on the deflation side, and I'm more of a deflationist, I sort of favor gold if it goes that way. But anyway, uh, Joe, uh, tell our people where the uh, the show is going to be in Toronto. Where is it exactly, and are there We're hotel the rooms? Hotel, the Sheridan Hotel in downtown Toronto, right in the financial district. And you can go to uh, CambridgeHouse.com, and everything will be up there for you. It's September 27, 28. Uh, we expect to have over 100 exhibitors, and we expect about three or 4,000 people there. It should be a, a good show with lots of information. We've just come out of an extremely bad year uh, from a high in January. The, <clears throat> the market's going into recession here. But the, <clears throat> excuse me, I think we've bottomed out, and it looks like we've got a bright few months coming ahead of us. So it's an ideal time to come on down if you're in the Toronto area and find out what's happening in the world of mineral exploration. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, you know, it's the opposite. People really show up when when times uh, when we're hitting peaks and they don't show up as much. But you're expecting a good turnout then. 3,000 people, it sounds pretty good. 100 exhibitors for Toronto. Sounds pretty good, Joe. Now, you have one of the companies that I was fortunate enough to own some shares in. It was GoldQuest. They're going to be there. And they have made a magnificent discovery. Are there any other sort of hot names that might be there? Uh, the, you know, I have to our, our site there right now and see what the exhibitors are. But yeah. GoldQuest certainly has had quite a quite a run. Well, you know, there's I, I don't do stock recommendations, but I'm, I'm flabbergasted sometimes when I see some companies that have more cash in the till than their market as cap. an asset than the market market cap is. And I look at companies like uh, here's one Riverstone that uh, you know they are going into production of a gold mine and their stock's yeah. way down there. Yeah, and, yeah. There's, and I'm sure you cover some of these also. Sure. Uh, no, it's it's uh, obviously it's at times like these, Joe's Joe, when the when you have the best opportunities, and that's why people should really consider going to Cambridge House. Dot com and and uh, think about attending, think about it and get on an airplane or drive your car over to uh, Toronto and and I think it's going to be an exciting show, Joe. You have. A lot of very interesting guests. The next one, one of them, one of the most colorful guests uh, at your show is Peter Granich, who's our main guest today. He's going to be joining us as soon as we go to break. But I, I, uh, I think people should really, really uh, consider going to this show. And if not this one, if you're on the West Coast, get out to Vancouver uh, or to the other shows. Joe, where else are you going to be uh, having shows? You have one in California now, I think, don't you? Yes, we had one. We moved from Phoenix to Palm Springs last year. We're delighted to move to what's called Indian Wells, actually. I think next year we're in uh, California in February 23, 24. We're Calgary next April 5, 6, uh, the province of Saskatchewan, which is a, and this is a story I know you like. It was a province that had 50 years of socialist government, yeah. which is now gone, and it's just the most booming place in the country of Canada, and that's in uh, next April. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's, that's true. There's opportunities in Canada beyond belief, and uh, uh, really I think our, our people should become familiar. Those are listeners that are not. Uh, certainly, when when you have your um, your shows here in the states, of course, our listeners from around the globe—they're not just local, but uh, a lot of them are in the U.S. And I think they should really avail themselves to the Cambridge House. Joe, you have the probably the number one show when it comes to uh, to exploration companies, uh, if not in the world, certainly in North America, and it's uh, it's certainly worth. Oh, our Vancouver one is the largest in the world. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's a it's a fantastic. Well, the only thing I had, the only complaint I have about it, Joe, is there's so darn many companies there, so much going on. Uh, in two or three days, it's it's sort of overwhelming at times. So in some ways, I like the, the smaller shows better. It is, but uh, hopefully by January, Jay, we're going to have our new agenda planner in there. So if you're coming to the, we won't have it for Toronto, but for Vancouver, January, if you are only interested in rare earth metals, you're only interested in gold, you're only interested in silver. You can the companies will come up on the website. You can tick them off. You can oh. find out where the booth is, and you'll be able to go arrange meetings with them right online. 
That's a really good idea. Okay. Joe, one, uh, one more uh, thing before we let you go. You know, we, uh, we, you probably more than me, because you knew him better, suffered a tragic loss when David Coffin left us in, a, uh, in an untimely uh, manner. Um, and uh, you've done some excellent work over the years in helping people uh, you know, and, and worthy causes and so forth. And you were very much involved uh, in a program, uh, I think, the David Coffin Memorial Bursary in Geology. Could you just tell our listeners, those who might know David or who, who yeah, value quickly, his David work? David was one of the premier letter writers that I, I got to. He was my, uh, my younger than me, but he was my mentor. I did a lot of property tours with him in many countries around the world. And David passed away very unexpectedly this uh, earlier this year. So a group of us put together. We had a fundraising dinner, which you were at. We're, thank you for being there. And we set up a bursary at the University of British Columbia Geology Department. And that evening, and with the other people donations, we did raise enough money, I think $150,000, that we can now have a very sizable and perpetuity uh, bursary in memory of David. Okay, and if uh, there's some worthy student. If people would still like to contribute, they can do that, and if so, how would they do that? Absolutely. I don't have the information there, but if they would just want to go info at CambridgeHouse.com, we would certainly get to it. Okay. Very good, Joe. Very good. And uh, you know, I'll be happy email to email you, and you send it on to us. Yeah, that's true. I, uh, we, can, we can talk about it on the show. I might uh, bring it up uh, in the near future. And, and thankfully, uh, his brother, Eric, is carrying on courageously, doing a wonderful job of picking up as best he can. I think he's doing a remarkably good job. Uh, and has to work twice yeah. as hard, of course. And it's, uh, also a very, very good guy, Eric Coffin, um, one of my one of my best friends up in Vancouver. Joe, thank you they so much. They've one of the best letters out for years. Oh, they, and Eric's the honesty and integrity uh, is second to none, I believe. Uh, those those two fellows, those those brothers, and Eric uh, continues the tradition. Picked up that letter, at least uh, picked up Bob Bishop's letter, and Bob Bishop, I think, was one of the better newsletter writers out there as well. Well, you've got a whole bunch of other good newsletter writers that are going to be at the show. So We've got a bunch of new guys coming up, too. Well, we're looking forward to it, Joe. Thanks so much for being with me. Uh, folks, don't go away. We do have to go to commercial break. When we come back, we'll have Peter Grandich with us. Peter Grandich always has some very interesting things to say. Okay. Can't afford to miss it. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Peter Grandich. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of. Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012. Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.eurostargold.com for more information. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. 
At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back to turning hard times into good times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me again Peter Granich. He's been with us a number of times before. Uh, Peter Granich has uh, been a uh, Wall Street, uh, well, he's been a stockbroker. He's uh, been involved in the uh, on Wall Street for a number of years. He's uh, done his own thing for quite a few years now, but uh, as a stockbroker, he was well, I don't know. I never knew Peter's a stockbroker, but I've known him more recently uh, as a letter writer, and he's one of the most honest people that I've ever run into. And so, uh, you can, uh, when Peter says something, you can you can trust that that's really what he believes, and he doesn't talk out of both sides of his mouth. I don't have his bio in front of me right now, but it is available on the Voice America Business Channel uh, on our website. Uh, if you just go into uh, to the Voice America website for turning hard times into good times. And then just look under uh, G for Grandich, and you'll see his name, Peter Grandich's uh, bio, is up there. Welcome, Peter. It's really good to have you back. Uh, thank you, Jay, for having me. Really uh, good to have you because you you have insights, I think, that are that are really unique uh, about the market. Um, and many times I've said I've, I've sat and listened to you in a conference, and I said I don't know if I really believe that, but but you've gotten me to think about it, and knowing that that you are talking. Uh, that you're really saying what you believe, and then I think about it, and more often than not, it works out that way. You seem to have it right. Although, I like your comment about the crystal ball. Those who, uh, you, uh, how do you say it? The, the, well, the it, it was actually it, it was an old newsletter who, writer who I've always viewed as the most gentleman in the business that ever existed, uh, Kennedy Gamage, uh-huh. who used to say. Uh, those of us who live by the crystal ball over time learn to eat broken glass. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I suppose so. But we, uh, the, I, the most honest answer is to say uh, we don't know for sure what's going to happen in the future, right? But we're, but this is our best guesstimate. This is our estimate based on on whatever criteria we use. So, what what is your sense of the equity markets now? We got a little bit of a bump with QE uh, today's. I see today. Uh, the Dow is up marginally, really nothing. Uh, NASDAQ is down. Uh, the markets don't seem, they seem to have gotten an initial kick, but not much in yesterday or today. What, what do you think? Uh, where are these equity markets headed? Are we near some sort of a peak here heading down, or, or do we have some more upside? 
Well, to start with, I want to re-emphasize what you just said. The best any of us can do is make it what we would call an educated guess. Mm -hmm. The problem with uh, so much of the financial world today is people give forecasts as if they're godlike, and really the only person that knows the past, the present, and the future is the one that created us all. So uh, when I do give these thoughts, they're not because I speak from an area of real expertise, only the fact that almost 30 years making guesses some of us, you know, it's like the old story I like to describe to people that people don't remember this because they don't do it anymore, but they used to be when we were kids, the guy that was at the carnival that would come up and say, guess your weight. Uh-huh. And, and people used to think it's rigged. But the, the reality was that if you looked at two, 300 people a day and guessed their weight and they started to tell you their real weight, within a couple of weeks you'll get fairly accurate because everything is apples and oranges. Yeah. And if you look at enough forms and all, you can kind of figure out how much mass they take up. So... Mm-hmm. When we, you and I, somebody that's been at it 30-plus years, it's only because we've had so much practice at it, and especially being wrong, that we actually start to be a little bit more right than the others. So with that in mind, my view has been fairly simple. In uh, August of 2007, my writings were we were about to enter the worst bear market ever. Mm-hmm. In March of 2009, I said the greatest bear market rally would take place and for all of this year, I said the biggest surprise to most is going to be that the market will work higher mm-hmm. and actually can make a marginal new high. Yep. But that I wasn't a bull, nor do I would suggest starting an equity portfolio expecting that rise to last for years. Mm-hmm. The news last week is very simple in my mind, Jay. And you know, I'm a simplistic person because of my lack of education. I never had a big vocabulary Plus, I don't like to kind of beat around the bush, and so when I am wrong, it's clear and evident I was wrong. But I think last week was the beginning of the end. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's not because I have gold to sell or dry food or cabins or, or, or ammunition. It's because from an economic standpoint, what is taking place no longer can be reversed without severe suffering, both economically, socially, politically, and spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I I would call what the Fed did something even more than a Hail Mary pass or shooting the silver bullet. I believe what it's done is it threw the kitchen sink. Not everything but the kitchen sink, but it has actually thrown the kitchen sink. And I understand why they did it. I understand their motives why they did it. But in the end, it will end up being the straw that broke the camel's back to America economically, socially, politically, and spiritually. Yeah. Well, that's uh, interesting, Peter. You're, you say you don't have much of an education. I think education, formal education, is actually, I like to say sometimes, the biggest disadvantage is that uh, a lot of PhDs in economics have when it comes to understanding the markets is their PhD in economics because I think they've been programmed to think incorrectly. But uh, that uh, that said, I, I should say that another person who would agree totally with you who does have quite a good education is David Stockman. I heard him speak, in fact, spoke to him earlier, actually last Friday in New York when he spoke at a Mises conference. And David believed that uh, what Bernanke did, uh, that, this, that he went completely over the line that, in fact, uh, we are now witnessing the destruction of capitalism, he said, because when you destroy the capital markets, uh, the equity markets and the, and the debt markets, uh, you know, that's the heart of capitalism. And uh, I don't know if you would care to opine on that. Well, what he has done in something in, in my world uh, is if I've always been, and, and I have to say at times, 
a gambler. Mm -hmm. And what he made was the ultimate gambler's move. He had been, per se, we'll use a roulette table. He had been on red for such a long time, and he got to the point where he could only see red as a bet. And because he was already down, he's taken everything he basically has left and betted on red. Uh, and that's typical of gamblers, uh, and, and they're psychiatrists that can explain why people tend to, tend to so-called send it in when they're down versus mm -hmm. when they're up. And, and that's, what, that's what he has done. But in fairness to Bernanke, uh, I believe when history looks back 50 or 100 years, when you and I and most listeners are long gone, it won't be Bernanke as the main culprit, but who he preceded, and that was Greenspan. Mm -hmm. what, what this is, this, as much as I have fault of the Obama administration and what's taking place, this is not any one person's fault or anything that just began in the last year or two. This has been going on really since we got off the gold standard. And I know I'm singing to the choir mm -hmm. when I speak to you, but it's very important for average Americans to understand that, that there used to be a time when America had to be responsible economically, and it hasn't had to do that for almost 40 years. And it's been abused all the way up. But in recent times, and particularly in this administration, the abuse has become absolutely overwhelming and has broken the straw, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. And what's so hard for people still to understand, and that's why I still think, you know, why Obama can even get elected is people don't understand that this from a simple cash flow basis. Mm -hmm. See, in my other life, in my other business, I'm involved in a process that uses cash flow for a so-called financial planning tool versus the typical way traditional financial planning is done. Mm -hmm. And uh, about six months ago, I posted, and I know some others, a, a retired accountant put out a very interesting uh, five-minute video on YouTube. And in a very simplistic manner, he showed why America was basically broke. He took the, the, the most recent statement from the government. He's shown all the assets and liabilities. He showed that even if we stop tomorrow spending every single dime it is to run the government, we don't produce enough cash flow. In other words, after we as Americans pay for our food and our clothing and everything we need to leave, we don't produce enough cash flow that the government can tax us on to not only pay down the interest but also the principal. And what happened? We just compounded that principal by another 5 to $8 trillion. So it's an impossibility. It's only a question of when, not if. Uh, that I say from my heart of hearts. And the longer we compound it and the more sense fuel we throw on the burning match, the actual more difficult and the bigger the problem will be when the results come. And this is what I've been hammering for almost a year, that we've gotten a preview of what it's going to be like. And everybody says, well, what's that, Mr. Granich? It's Europe. Yeah. What's happened in Europe is happening in the United States. It moved away from 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 a, from a, from a, a, a spiritually led governments to secularism, and with that came socialism, and with that became large barrings in order to service people and make government more and more involved. And we saw the net results of that. The United States is really another Greece or Spain. It just has one thing that they those guys didn't lead themselves with, and that's a printing press. And so now that printing press has been put into overdrive to the highest gear possible. That's what the Fed has done. And for a while, it will forestall or even give false hope to what I've always coined the don't worry, be happy crowd on Wall Street. But inevitably, that move has actually accelerated the day of reckoning. 
And so what might have been years away is only months to a year or two away in my book. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're right in, in uh, your criticism of Greenspan. In fact, I, I would hold Greenspan to be, uh, you know, the culprit, really the, the, the number one culprit, although I also agree with Robert Prechter, who said on this show when I asked him once, well, what would have happened if Nixon hadn't taken us off the gold standard? And, and his response was, well, Nixon had no choice. The pressures and the, the powers were on. Of course, Nixon did have a choice. He could have uh, he could have left government. He could have not been elected, or he could have been shot or something, perhaps. But he did have a, he did have a choice in one sense, but from a political point of view, not because I think what you're talking about the decades, we wanted to have an easy life. We didn't want to we didn't want to face reality. I mean, this is a weakness of human beings, is it not? We want to have something for nothing. We want to believe that we can have uh, all these things without working for it. And what you're talking about, Peter, uh, in terms of the exponential growth in debt relative to income is absolutely the reason I think you're, you're right about this, why it's just not a matter of when. It's, a, it's, a matter, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. As David Stockman said on last Friday, he pointed out, that if we uh, if we just simply if our rates went from one and a half our interest rates went from one and a half percent to five percent, the total government interest debt a year just to pay the interest will be six hundred billion dollars. So you and then five percent is that any great shakes for an interest rate? Well, uh, while we're on the topic of interest rates, let me just get right to it and ask you: What do you think about the long the long bond? Uh, do you think we're any? Do you think we're near the t- the peak? Have we seen? The peak and the long in the bull market for the long bond. Uh, do you think? And uh, are we starting? Are we on the on the, about to start a bear market, a long term bear market in the long term long dated treasuries? What's your best guess? Well, and as you say, it is a guess. But earlier this year, when the ten year treasury bond broke one fifty, I wrote in my blog that that would be the initial spot where I would want to establish a short position, and then stated that bonds will turn out to be the worst investment over the next 10 years, even worse than stocks. And to use, if the, if the market were to even rally even further and drive that yield as low as 1.25%, to be extremely short or to bet against bonds. And here's, here's, what, here's why I know America's a mess financially. There isn't almost a, a week goes by and almost not a day goes by when I'm not speaking to someone about what's happening financially, not just because of what the work I do in Grandish.com, but in my other business. And what perplexes me is most people have still to this date don't understand about purchasing power. They don't have it in their mind that what a dollar is today is going to be worth less and you'll need more of them to live the same standard you're living now, let alone a higher standard, which, you know, people move towards and, and, and try to do. And they don't understand because it hasn't been around for a while, mm-hmm. and that is they don't understand inflation. But they also don't understand that even in moderate rates of inflation, if the currency that you are counting on to be worthy is losing value, then you can almost get a, a, a double-edged sword against you. And so what I'm amazed at that someone today could go and go to a financial advisor and that advisor allow them to do it and say, listen, here's $10,000. I want to buy a 10-year treasury, or maybe today it's 185, yeah. 1.85, and have the expectations that 10 years and a day from now that I will actually have gained 
purchasing power or at least held relatively my purchasing power. And the only way that would occur is that if the inflation rate is less than 1.85% over the next 10 years. Mm -hmm. Now, if anybody thinks that is real and that's the case, they certainly should hang up and not listen to me anymore because what I believe is going to occur is going to be far worse than a 1.85% interest rate. Right. So if you concur with that, or you have reason to believe that's a good thought, why anyone would lend money to anyone, including the United States government, at that level is preposterous. So everybody goes, well, then why are people doing it? You know, why is, that's always the response I get. Why did people buy it today? Well, much of the money that is, is buying and selling those bonds today has no interest of being in them 10 years from now, maybe not even 10 months from now, okay? So much of money that flows is, is managed money. It's, it's no longer individuals controlling it. And those people hopefully try to buy and sell and move in and out and be successful, which is very surprising since in, this, in the equity market, 75% of all money managers underperform the index that they're matched against. So you would think people wouldn't even give money to professional money managers. But that's another show, Jay. Yeah, what yeah, I, what I, I want to drive at is this. Bonds, to me, are the absolute worst place, particularly in U.S. dollar-denominated bonds, to be going forward. I actually see them performing worse if you and I live long enough to be here 10 years in a day and review this, that the actual net return will be worse than bonds than it would have been in equities. Now, they both may be down, but bonds will be worse than equities. Yeah, uh, certainly we've seen... Uh, on the other, in the other direction, Peter, uh, enormous profits made by being long bonds going back to 1982 or so when this, when this bull market in the long dated treasuries took place. Of course, there are people that we've had on this show, including Robert Prechter, uh, A. Gary Schilling's been on this show, uh, who are deflationist, and if, if you believe their world, then, then you can believe that, uh, that 1.82, 8, Five one point eight five percent makes sense, but if you don't buy that, then it's uh, it, it's but clearly Jay, Jay. There hasn't been real high inflation rates in Europe during mm-hmm. this period. Right. And look exactly. what happened to their rates. Exactly. Exactly. Their right. Rates, and, and other than Germany, went from one or two percent to twelve to fourteen to fifteen percent during very economic slowdowns and very modest inflation rates or decreasing right. inflation rates. The, the problem is when, you, when you're dealing, and you're the expert in this, when you're dealing with fiat currencies, the real question about the worthiness of those currencies is the faith and credit people have in you. You know, Donald Trump was the perfect example of this. Years ago, he ran into what people perceived as a financial problem. He couldn't get an ounce of credit. And part of that was because people lost faith in him. Mm-hmm. Now they're talking about soon again, and one smaller firm came out trying to be ahead of the curve for the change, and talked about the U.S. actually losing its AAA rating next yes. year yes. if we Moody's continue that, about down that. this path. And that's what gets me to say that once we get past this year and the election, the real problems lay down the road in 2013 and beyond. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, to be fair to Robert Prechter, uh, he agrees with you and he's looking at us like being that like Greece and he pointed out that interest rates remained very low for quite a while and then all of a sudden they just took off. Uh, you know, you just saw that spread of the, the Greeks and then some of the other weaker credits in, in Europe, the spread between that and the, uh, you know, the German bonds just skyrocketing. Uh, as confidence was lost. So as confidence, can you imagine though what is going to happen, Peter? 
Uh, Stockman talks about a 5% ra- uh, interest rate from one and a half. I guess he's talking 10-year treasuries probably. You just mentioned 1.8 uh, on the treasuries. But if you go to 5%, it adds, uh, we have a $600 billion a year treasury def, uh, uh, interest rate ex- uh, burden on the U.S. Treasury. Now, suppose we go to anything like, uh, like Greece has, or, or even half of that. Uh, where, and that's, I guess, where your hyperinflation theory comes in. Where is, they're going to print money like mad, I guess. They're going to have to print money and destroy the dollar. That's, the, that's what you believe, right? Well, think about this. We all had people we knew, even as kids, but certainly as adults, friends, businesses, that wanted to borrow money or needed money from us or, 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 or where they could try to get it, and they were already indebted. And one of the first reactions we would always have is we would want a much higher interest rate to compensate for the potential loss of them not paying back part of all what they owe us. Right. So we're, we're, we're and I love Robert Prechter, you know, he's been a, been a long acquaintance, one of the first people that supported me in the 80s when I was working on Wall Street. But where I respectfully disagree with him is that's exactly what happened to Germany and the other countries that already had large debt situations. People no longer felt they could service that debt. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the rate. It was actually concerned about return of principal. Because when, when you're a borrower and when you're involved in bonds, that's all really that matters. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be able to pay me back my money when the date of the term of the agreement that we had to lend you the money is over with? Mm-hmm. So it won't be so much whether there's inflation or whatever, but once the view is that America can no longer service its debt properly, that's when it won't really matter how much printing of money is done and rates can skyrocket. I don't know exactly when that date is coming, but I do believe Europe is the opening act to it, and it gives me an idea that it's relatively soon in terms of time, meaning no more than months to a year or two, not something that's still decades away. Yeah, and and also in fairness to Robert Prechter, I should mention that he also believes that interest rates are going to go through the roof in the United States, not because uh, of a booming economy, but because of the very thing that you just mentioned. We are going to have an inability to pay it, to be in insolvency that causes and triggers the interest rates to go up, just as you were suggesting. So that's where he stands, and I guess he would differ probably from A. Gary Schilling, who's been on this show, and he sort of sees... Uh, a very listless, lackluster, sub, uh, you know, very, very slow growth or no growth or even uh, uh, slight deflation over the years. So that's, that's an academic issue, but it's not an academic issue when it comes to figuring out how to deal with it and how to run our lives accordingly. Now, Peter, what I want to ask you, you mentioned shorting the long bond. Uh, TBT uh, is uh, a symbol of, uh, let's see, what is it called? It's called um, ProShares uh, Triple Down Ultra Shorts on the 20-year uh, do you have ways for, I mean, are there ETFs or some way uh, that people, average common people, can short uh, treasuries, or would you suggest they not do that? Well, I first suggested they speak to a licensed investment advisor and no two people are alike, so I hate sure. to give a cookie-cope approach. But there are vehicles, like you mentioned, which uh, can give people capital gains opportunity if the bond market goes that way, and one of the ones you mentioned is something to be considered. But these are what I think is more important for people to try to get on instead of getting the right vehicle, 
is to first accept, is that going to happen, and what will change from that? Think about this. The biggest group that I've seen suffer in the last 10 years has been people 55 and over, because that's 80% of the wealth is held by people 55 and over. They've seen values of stocks go down and their homes go down. Can you imagine all that money that sits in income-oriented products right now, like bonds? If the bond was just, if the 10-year just went from under 2 to 5%, the loss on paper will be somewhere around 20 or 25 percent. Can you imagine those poor souls seeing a 20 or 25 percent current loss on principal? You think yeah. they took it bad when the stock market fell 20 percent? Imagine when your bond or income portfolio is down 20 or 25 percent. Those are the potential things that are going to add more fuel to the fire when, unfortunately, this house of cards comes crumbling down. And, Peter, you just made a point about why the rich are getting richer and the middle class is being disintegrated in this country because the people that have the ability and the knowledge and the capital to uh, to short the market and to profit, they're actually profiting from uh, the misery of other people. But, you know, you can't blame people for doing that. Uh, you have to blame the policies. Uh, I say you have to blame the policies of government and the, and the central banks for we're doing this. I mean, they are manipulating their markets, the interest rates for markets, right? I mean, I, you and I need to do what we have to do to feed our families, to survive uh, within the law, of course, and, and what's moral and what's right and what's just. Uh, but, but when you look at the disparity of income, we've had the most uh, enormous dis, you know, reallocation of wealth from the middle class to the to the rich in the long t- in the longest time, uh, and uh, and so in a way it's 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 really sad. It's it's really bad. It's 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 an evil system. Uh, my engineer is telling me so we're almost out of time here for this first hour. Uh, I'll let you just respond to that, and then we're going to have to go to a break, and we'll come back with a lot more. Well, I'll say real fast that the only real people who benefit from these QEs are the people that least need it. And if we had QE3, what it 1 and 2 didn't solve that was supposed to solve that QE3 will solve. Yeah. Well, that's that's the issue, and we'll pick up on that thought uh, when we come back. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we do have to take a commercial break. We're, we have a hard break here at the top of the hour. When we come back, lots and lots more to talk with Peter Granish about, so don't go away. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network Eurostar Gold Corporation is re-examining well-known properties in Mexico using modern exploration knowledge and tools to access the riches that others only dreamed of Eurostar has announced positive drilling results on all three of its Mexican gold properties in 2012 Drilling continues at the flagship El Antimonio property, where over 60% of Phase 1 drill holes have returned significant gold mineralization over wide intervals. Through its aggressive exploration strategy, experienced leadership, and loyal shareholder base, Eurostar is poised to give new life to valuable gold resources. Visit www.eurostargold.com for more information. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Network. 